You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. It is great to see everybody here today. And how many can say, thank you, Lord, for the rain? I was watching some of the farmers in the first service. It really started to downpour. We heard it in here, and I could just see the farmers going, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So uh, I tell you what, until until you are a farmer, you can't appreciate that, right? So any today, we're uh, continuing on in the series, Piercing the Darkness, which is based on the book of Romans. This is the fourth message. And instead of going verse by verse, I am going by topic based on the book of Romans. Now, it looks like right now I'm still going verse by verse because we're a chapter, we're still in chapter one. But uh, there's a segment, Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32. It's pretty critical for where our culture is today. And so I've had to break that up into three different messages. So I did a a part of it last week. We're going to go on to another segment of verses inside of that. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word? We're going to go to Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. And everybody read this with me. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, Holy Spirit, as we look at the word of God this morning, I pray that you help us with our mindsets, with our values. We pray that you would grow and develop us, disciple us, and correct us in the arenas of life where we are not conforming to your word. We invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So as we're looking at this topic, piercing the darkness, the reason I call it piercing the darkness based on Romans is the fact that Christianity was about to enter a very dark period of time when the Roman government was going to declare literally a, a, a war against Christianity. And Paul had a lot of inklings that this was about to come. So he's writing a variety of, on a variety of topics. And this is, these are some of the topics that we'll be addressing inside the book of Romans. We talked about, I've already done this, basics of the faith. Like what, he was just explaining, what is the faith? And then he talks a little bit about his own leadership, and I've spoke on that. And then he talks about sexuality, and I started that segment last week, continue today, and then get the rest of it next week. And then he talks about responding to government, racism, the Holy Spirit. How many know if you're going to live in a dark place, you probably need a Holy Spirit? And then he talks about how unity and holiness and our, where, is, where does our liberty come in in relationship to being responsible for, or for unity? But as we look at this, I want to just say this. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. 
is a critical text in refuting much of the new theology being propagated today. And we're gonna unpack that a little further, but I will just tell you this is a critical text. Now, you'll find that all of God's word is relevant, but what you find in certain seasons of life that some scripture has more application than others because of what you're dealing with and what you're facing. And certainly, this is a passage that really addresses some of the shifts that are happening inside of our culture. And what is our response to be to this? But one of the things that I want you to be aware of, because I have people who come to me and will say, where are they getting all this new theology? Where is all this new idea and the changing of values and morals? Where are these religious leaders getting it? And I just say, I just wanna let you know, I have conversations and engagement with them from time to time as well. And it's, not my, it's never my intent to be confrontational because in con- it, when you're confrontational, you're not gonna win anybody over. But if anybody wants to have a straight up dialogue, I'm open to that. And what I often say to them is this, why are you avoiding the context of the, of the scripture? I mean, I hear how you explain it. I hear how you justify making a word reference here and there, and I see how you're, but I've noticed you will not reference the context. Because how many know the context contributes to about 90% of what's being said? If you take something out of context, you can take it anywhere you want it to go. So I just say, I just want to know why you are avoiding the context. Because if you've been to seminary like I've had or anybody else and had any training, you know you don't come up with your you don't come up with any points until you establish the context of what you're studying. Because otherwise it can be subject to so many different emotions and personal contexts and situations in the speaker's life or even in the people that are listening. So it's critical. What is the context? So everybody read this with us. So Because we got new folks and they need to know that they, they're going to hear this the rest of my ministry, aren't they? Everybody, what does it say? Text without context lead to pretext. It all starts with Let's set up the story so that we know what we're reading and so that there's some boundaries and there's some leverages that are in place. And so what happens here is this, until we know what it speaks of back then, we can't know what it speaks of today. I need to know what was it speaking to and what was being addressed and then I can go, okay, I see what was being ha- or what was being said then and what it was addressing. Now I can see how it applies to my particular time and my particular day. So I set up some of this last week, but I want to again do this. I'm not going to do as much historical context as I did last week, but I am going to revisit what I did because it's important to have the right frame of mind when you're reading this, okay? When I say right, right uh, mindset, I'm talking about context. So we all kind of need to get there. Like what is being said and what are the conditions that Paul is writing this under? So let me set it up really quick because we have some new folks and I, wanna, I want them to be a part of this journey. The apostle Paul accepted Christ right around 36 AD, approximately three to four years after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Three to four years later is when the Apostle Paul accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Twelve years later, he began a series of missionary journeys. He took that that mandate that Jesus said, go into all the world, pretty serious. And so he said, I guess that includes me. 
And so you read about these missionary endeavors in the book of Acts. Now, it's not listed real easy for us, like, oh, there's the first journey and the second. But if you take the time to parse the activity, you can see these. He went on his first journey in 48 AD. Then he took another trip in uh, 51 AD. And then he took another trip in or 51 AD and then another one in 54 AD. So you see, he was on a rotation of about three years. So he'd be gone two and home about one year. Now, you understand the missions trips back then was not a two-week trip, jump on an airplane, fly to where you wanna go and then come back. You know, it was what, so when you went on a missions trip, baby, you were all in, okay? And so he's visiting various parts of the Roman Empire. While he's on that third journey, just when he starts that third journey, there's a shift in power in Rome. Nero becomes the new emperor. And this was not going to be a good trend because three years later, Paul's on this missions trip and he's in Corinth three years later and he's already watched three years of Nero's leadership and how it's beginning to affect the Roman Empire and he sees things that really bother him. And so I will tell you this, you could actually write or you could actually read Corinthians and Romans together because he's writing from Corinth to the church in Rome and while he's in Corinth, he's also writing those books that he has. And so you can see he's painting a picture of what is happening in the Roman Empire and he's showing the trends are bad. They're all in the wrong direction. And he's actually saying things are about to go bad. And how many know history does prove him right? And so after 10 years of missionary work in various regions of the Roman Empire, Paul has a spiritual insight on what has transpired. He's not reading what other people have said. He's a guy who's actually gone and traveled and he's been there. He's checked out this major city, that region. He's watching the, he's watching the, 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 the emperor Nero and what he's in and he's seeing how it is affecting this empire. And Paul sees some really dark clouds on the horizon. And I'll be talking a little bit more about that next week. Not only what he saw coming, but even confirming later what actually played out. So the part of the text that we're talking about today addresses some pretty sensitive subjects. So I'm going to make a commitment to you. We're going to stick to the text. Okay, but there's some uncanny parallels between what it was speaking then and how it applies to us today. So number one, what is the first four words there? Read it with me. It says, how man rejects God. So after laying out some things, he then begins to share this insight. Paul is noticing how man is starting to dismiss God. There's a process. And he's noticed it's not confined to one city. There is a, there is a process that man takes to dismiss God. He says, for although they knew God, notice that it says they knew him. They know he exists. It says they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. How does man dismiss God? Did you know that we might have little idiosyncrasies that are different from each one of us? But did you know the process is the same for all of us? Who, 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 if, if you take that road of dismissing God, did you know there's, a, there's an established process that makes to do that? Number one, it says this, they neither glorified, which means, now the parentheses is words that I put in to give you a better definition. Glorified here in this context means honored. They would not honor him as God. So let me put this, let me put this in, in context. What, what they're saying is this, you're God, but I'm not gonna honor you. 
I'm gonna dismiss you. It's, it's no different than when people have positions of power or positions in a family and they suddenly decide, I'm not gonna honor you. Well, how do they do that? Well, it goes this way. It means nor give thanks to him. So one of the ways that man dis, dishonors God is not by thanking him. Now, let me put that in context. Why should man be thankful? Let me give you your example. Let's say you created something as a gift and you gave it to somebody and they took it and they never said thank you and they set it aside and they went on and later on actually gave credit to somebody else for giving them the gift. How many of you would feel extremely dishonored? Oh, come on, you're not that holy. <laughs> you're human. You'd be offended, wouldn't you? That you created something as a gift, you gave it to them. They set it aside and didn't treat it with respect. They didn't even say thank you. And then later on, you find out that they're giving credit to somebody else for giving them the gift. How many go, well, that's the last gift they get out of me. Yeah. And this is what happens. Let me see. Show you. Their thinking became futile, vain, empty. So what man does is this. God, I know this is your world, but I'm not going to give you credit that this is your world. And I know that you created me, and I'm not going to give you credit that you created me. I'm going to credit another process called evolution. No God I'm gonna process, I'm gonna give credit, and, and the scripture tells us, God says, that is dishonoring me. And there's no room to thank God for that because you're, you're saying that matter came together in outer space and spun exactly right and spit out a place called planet Earth. And God says, what do you mean you're gonna credit that? I created your world, I created you. That is dishonoring to God. And God says, you're not even giving me, there's no thanks to God in that process. You are crediting something else. And God says, I fashioned you. I fashioned you in my image. And you're saying that you came from an animal? And God says, I fashioned you in my image and you're gonna give credit to some process that leaped from an animal and created a human being. Listen, God's no different than you and I. That's offensive, and then he goes on, so he says, so now your thinking is futile and vain. How are you supposed to have any type of value if you are just an extension of the animal kingdom? Come on. You know, the thing that separates us from the animal kingdom is we got a soul. We have a conscience that can be informed and changed we have emotions that are far beyond any animals. I'm not saying animals don't have emotions, but far, God has created us with far more meaningful and more depthful emotions than anything. And, you're, and God says, and you're saying you're just one jump from the animal kingdom? You gotta be kidding me. Then he goes on to say this, their foolish hearts were darkened, meaning without understanding. In other words, Put yourself in this spot. Have you, and don't look at them, okay? <laughs> Have you ever had a conversation with somebody trying to inform them about something and you recognize you were talking to someone who did not know that they did not know? 
And you find the conversation going, the more we talk, the worse this is getting. Because they think they know, but they don't know. And they're trying to act like they know, but I know they don't know. And so when I talk, this is like, oh. And so, you know, you're just, how many of you are just looking for an exit ramp? And, you know, and the all favorite one, you know, oh, uh, I got a text. You say, I got a. And you know there was no text. You just needed an exit ramp. Some of the older people just went, is that what my teens are doing to me now? Yeah. There really isn't, there really isn't a text. It was just that it was an exit ramp strategy. Sorry I ratted you guys out, so. In other words, you can explain it to them and it's right over their head. They don't get it. Why? Because they've already dismissed the creator. And they, they, have, they have no gratefulness. They, have no, why, they aren't gonna give thanks to a God they don't believe in. Well, then you have to understand by dismissing truth, you're now down a rabbit hole that is gonna go places that you had no idea we're gonna take, but now there's no understanding. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no purpose. There's no, pe- there's no, there's no principles. That's why people lose hope. That's why people, listen, you, you tell somebody they're just a jump from the animal kingdom. How's that supposed to inspire them? But tell somebody they've been made in the image of God and look at them sit up a little straighter. Look at them want to investigate that. That God took the time to fashion me? Yeah. And out of 6,000 years of human history, God said he wanted you to breathe today. Now there's a strategy. There's a purpose. There's a meaning. Number two, read it out loud. So after man dismisses God, well, that means that man now gets to elevate his rationalization because you have to put something in its place because we want to know where we've come from, why we're here, and what the purpose is and where we're going. So if I'm not going to accept God's plan and God's creation and his purpose, that leaves me to my own rationalization. So although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So here's, here's the trap that every human being has in them. Man has always been tempted to be wise apart from God. Then man wants to use his wisdom to determine whether God is wise. The great temptation of mankind right there. I'm going to determine truth and wisdom apart from God. And then I'm going to measure to see if God measures up. Wow. So you just set yourself up as the final authority. You're going to judge God by your wisdom. So you just said, you're, you're God. Listen, this is permeated throughout our society. And what I'm about to say doesn't apply to every single person that I'm referencing in this profession, but you will recognize we have new gods in our country and they come in lab coats. Scientifically, it's impossible for God to have done that. Science doesn't hold up that God could have done that. Science, when did science suddenly know everything? Like never? 
But see, see, they, they want to establish wisdom apart from God, and then they want to judge God. And what they don't understand is, is they are discovering God's world, his stuff. Now, okay, if you don't stop asking questions, I'll never get through this today. I got a gazillion thoughts running through my head today. So, number three, read it out loud. Apart from God, wisdom will create his own religion. So, when, when, let me tell you what, where religion comes from in, in, our, in our society. When methodology becomes super important, we create ritual out of it. And when it stays ritual long enough, we can create a religion around it. That's, that's the sociological evolution of religions. We create methods, and then the methods are sacred. Well, then we need to make them rituals. And if there's rituals, then we want to make it God-like because that's a way of telling people, don't mess with this. And so you read here, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So if I do not believe in the image of God being created or creating me and around this world, what is my substitute? That means we start substituting us and that means we start substituting the things around us that have been created. If you go into the Roman, so let's step back into the Roman world. The political and religious leaders would present themselves as gods. Every emperor said, by merely being in this position, I am a god. And, and emperors expected to be worshipped. Some expected a more devoted worship than others. Some would even put the, uh, the citizens of Rome under death. That if Caesar, if, if Caesar came around the, on the street, you were required to take a knee and say, Caesar is Lord. If you did not, you did not have to worry about retirement. Because you weren't even going to make it home today. Why? Because he's Lord. He would say, you have to say, Caesar is Lord, or you will be put in captivity or executed on the spot. It really was down to the mood of the emperor for the day. So what they did was this. There's no creator out there, so you now must worship me. Then you have other religious leaders of his day. You had all these cults and religions, these specialized temples, and they all would use, there was one temple you'd go to and it was loaded with snakes because they believed that these snakes embodied the spirit of the God. Some other places you would go, they would have animals and they would say, this, this place embodies the spirit of that God. And then sometimes the religious leader would say, I embody the spirit of that God. So if you wanna worship that God, you have to worship me. That's what they were faced with. And like I said, then it moves on. The Romans also associated certain animals. They, had, they would use the eagle. The eagles was, there was the eagle, there was the wolf, the bear, the snakes, the owl, the bull. All those things were used as sacred animals that had a spirit that you needed to worship that animal for a particular God that was embodied in that. Now here's the tricky part. I want to listen. I want to make sure I said this very carefully. After first service, I, wanted, I went to the pastoral team. I said, I want to make sure I got this right. You're, you're, I want to make sure that I didn't say it wrong because this, this is really critical that you hear how I say this. Everybody got it? How? Okay. There are symbols that we do use in every culture. But if you're not careful, the symbolism can become an introduction to a spirit that wants to make that symbol into a God. 
It's interesting to study the world's uh, evolution of religions in certain societies. Many of the things that they worshiped as a god, like an eagle, a wolf, a bear, a snake, or a bull, when you trace it back, it started off okay. It was symbolism. But because they didn't see that there was a God, those symbols slowly morphed in their culture to be their gods. Does everybody understand what I just said? Just because it's a symbol doesn't mean it's a God. But it is one of the ways, the pathways that things get started. The God, listen, the ancient, the, you understand the ancient gods are not destroyed. The ancient gods are displaced and they look for a new manifestation. Evil spirits are not destroyed. I hope I didn't just like surprise you there. They are displaced and then they roam and they are looking for another place to call home. And guess what? They keep bringing back old methodology we got to get these symbols in there because it could serve as a basis for us in the future, generation after generation. Maybe we can do the same thing. You notice in our culture, we have a lot of those symbols. Right now, we don't worship them, and that's a good thing, and those symbols represent something good. Okay? But I'm here to tell you, there are evil spirits who want to play. See, if you have no God... God of the universe, you better be careful because the evil spirits want you to take your symbols and make them gods. We even have a, by the way, the bull was a symbol of Baal. I'll give you this, 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 this free stuff. You ready for this? The bull was a symbol in Baal of prosperity. So when you were in a community, there was a lot of pressure by your neighbors to uh, sacrifice a bull because your lack of sacrifice could cost everybody prosperity. So there was like, look, do, sacrifice the bull for us if you're not gonna do it for yourself, but we need Baal to bless our community. And if you're the holdout, we're gonna blame you. So the bull represented prosperity. They would, they would build, by the way, the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness and Moses was up on the mountain, it says they created a symbol and it was, it was a calf, a gold calf, got it? So if you, if you don't think things recycle and just, it's the same thing, but what do you call it when the stock market goes up? A bull market. If you go down to Wall Street, you'll see this massive, overly sized bull a symbol of prosperity. Notice I said symbol. But I'm here to tell you there are evil spirits who want to turn that into a God. And I'm like you. Listen, the stock market is at a tool, but it is never going to be my God. So it's old spirits coming back, trying to do new things, using old tactics. You'll see it all throughout our culture. Anyway, that was just free stuff. I just thought I'd bring it up. Number four, read it out loud. Abandoning God has consequences. This verse upsets a lot of people because they see God gave them over. Oh, well, that doesn't represent the kind of God that we think he should be. And I go, that's because you're not reading it carefully. Notice this. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires, of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So let's slow this down 
And let's look at the language that Paul used to make sure that we're understanding what's going. The word gave here means moving his restraining hand, his protective hand. The word there means to remove restraint. It doesn't mean to throw you into something. It means God is protecting everyone in this room from the consequences of bad decisions. How many are grateful that God doesn't let all the consequences of our choices arrive in the next five minutes? I mean, we would all be history. So God is gracious enough to go, there's consequence, but I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna protect you. But a constant persistence, a constant pushing, a constant wanting. Now, this is key. He says he gives them over in the sinful desires of what? Oh, you need to catch this. Here's here's what's happening. When God takes his protective hand back, it's not the evil that comes from out there to me. God's protective hand protects me from me. Do you all got that? God said, my grace, my mercy, my hand is protecting you from you. But push and push and pursue, God says, there's a time when I will go, okay, I will give you over to the sin, in the sinful desires of their hearts. God says, I will no longer protect you from you. Wow. Moral restraint is lost. Moral bearings are lost. The scriptures play this out. We're going to look at this further. But that's where I say people often read the scripture so fast, they innuendo and they don't slow down and recognize it's not speaking about what happens to me from out there. It's what happens to me when God says, every man is wicked for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, the heart above all is deceitful. God says, if it wasn't for my grace and mercy, you would destroy yourself. And I love you enough to not just put grace and mercy around you, I love you enough to put grace and mercy inside of you to protect you from yourself. Then it goes on, and he says this interesting phrase, to sexual impurity. Now, the Bible does use the phrase over and over, sexual immorality. And the Greek word that is used in the Hebrew in the New Testament is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. But you notice he did not say uh, sexual impurity. Immorality, he used sexual impurity. As Americans, we go, well, what's the difference? Well, if you go in, he used a whole different Greek word here. He didn't use pornea, he used a different Greek word. And what's interesting is that word, and it is used in other contexts in the New Testament, and I don't have time to unpack all this, but what you find is, is that's a word that means decaying matter. It's described as a dead body, and then it starts to decay. Because how many know in the Old Testament and even in the New, the Jews considered a dead body something that could make them impure because it was decaying. 
And so when it reads this, it says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of the hearts. God says, I've taken my hand back and the evilness in you will victimize you. And God says, as a result of that, you start to become decaying matter. Translated, your soul starts to die. You decay. And if you're in law enforcement, and you're, or you're a behavioralist uh, psychologist, and you know some about the more extreme behaviors that people can get into, you understand the, the dynamic of what I'm saying, that people's soul can literally start to decay. And they've committed some of the most horrific and gotten themselves into some of those horrific contexts and situations in crime. Why? A decay. And some of them, stone cold, caught, it doesn't even phase them about what they did. And they would do it again if you let them out. And you go, how can somebody do that? How can somebody become their soul? The mercies of God were taken back and it's not what happened to them. It's what their evil heart did to themselves. When God takes back his protective hand, I will victimize myself. Yeah, I need God to protect me because I'm you, me. We are our own greatest enemy. We'll make decisions that will decay our soul and take us back to a point of no return in, situ in many situations. And then he goes on degrading. Notice he says the degrading of their bodies with one another. Why, why, does, why is that important? He could have stopped with, look, you, you could read that the desires of their heart to sexual impurity. He could have put a period there and wrapped it up. The rest of that, you could say, well, I don't understand. Maybe he's just quantifying what's going on. No, he's continuing to show you what happens. So when, when your soul starts to decay, you lose the honor and respect of who other people are. You lose the honor and respect that you have for yourself. And now life consists of other people and their bodies are mere objects to you. They are material possessions. You don't see them as human beings. You see them as objects. Why? Because your soul started to decay. Because in, in the book of Romans and in the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians, he says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But if God's hand has been removed and I am now subject to the evil desires of my heart and now I'm engaged in sexual impurity which starts to decay my soul, there's no holiness for your body, much less for my body. We're, we're just physical matter to use on one another. So no honor and no respect. Goes all the way back to where we started this verse. If I'm not gonna honor God, I probably won't honor his creation. Myself and you. Do I need to point out the trends that are happening in our culture that are parallel to what I'm preaching today? I think, you're, I think you're discerning enough to go, wow, this is what's happening. We are not in new territory. We are in new territory because as a culture, we've never had to deal with evil spirits like that. And we want to put it in a lab coat. We want to put it in a, a lab room. And, and we want to test them. Folks, this is not a battle of chemistry in a lab. This is a battle of the Holy Spirit against the evil spirits. Amen. 
And I know that makes people uncomfortable. Good, because I only do two things as a pastor. I comfort the afflicted and I afflict the comfortable. <laughs> so if you're uncomfortable today, I do, I'm gonna go home really validated today. All right, let's go on. Number five, read this last point, last one, read it out loud. The only alternative to God's truth. So if, if God is truth and I say, no God, and that no, this is not his creation, then I have taken, so the word here, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than creator who is forever praised, amen. The lie. What's so ironic is this. Do we know everything about God and do we understand everything about how God created the world? No. And people will use that say, well, then you need to dismiss it because there's, there's just too much going on. And yet evolution has all the same types of flaws. There are so many. How does a species jump? You know, like how, how did slime said, you know, I want to live on land and become an, an animal. How did an animal say, you know, one day I want to walk. Well, I guess we're going to have to grow some legs. And then, you know, I want to become a human. You know, there's none of the, how, how, how do you jump species? You know, we just haven't discovered it yet. Yeah, but when you come to roadblocks like that in Christianity, you dismiss. But when it comes to evolution, you just say we don't have all the answers. How about you reverse it? Maybe you're off and we're still figuring out creation. Why does, why does creation always get dismissed? When your view has the same problems, See, as Christians, we gotta be careful what we get sucked into. There are significant issues. Can I give you one? It's not even in the notes. It's stuff that I read and it just randomly came to my brain. <laughs> how many were alive when Mount St. Helens blew up? Okay, that tells me how old you are. You say, well, I didn't lift my hand. What's Mount St. Helens? Talk to somebody who just lifted their hands. Volcano that blew up on the West Coast. Devastating. Everybody's into this radiocarbon dating, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody explains the inaccuracies. And I say gross inaccuracies. They tested the material mount around Mount St. Helens. We know the day that it happened in the 80s. We know the day, right? And they tested the material that was buried and it says it's 60,000 years old. No, it's not. I watched it on the news. Does this look like a face that's 60,000 years old? <laughs> and boy, they'll stand by here. I mean, you could go volcano by volcano around the world and test. There's one that happened in the 1800s and the fallout material that was buried there, they say is over 2 million years old. And yet they know the date that it happened in the 1800s. And you stand, and they stand with such straight faces go, we've dated this. You don't know when it happened. But you're set to dismiss the creator. So whatever it takes to take him off his throne even if you have to have cover-ups on what truth is. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. A lie. And then it says this, and they worshiped and served created things 
rather than the creator. According to our culture, you either celebrate that you are an extension of the animal kingdom that made a huge jump, or you accept the fact that I've been created in the image of God. And I was born with a soul and a conscience and a heart. And I have a piece of me that has the ability to live on in eternity because I'm created in his image. Therefore, there are things in me that have the ability to go in eternity that other things in this world do not. If you notice, God does not redeem the world. He says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He doesn't even try to rebuild Jerusalem. He just says there will be a new Jerusalem. You notice what God just says, you know, we scrap all this. But you know what? There's a piece of you that will transcend all that. And I'm going to take that piece with you and put it in eternity. We've been made in the image of God. Listen to me. You're valuable. You're not from the animal kingdom. You are from an eternal God who fashioned you, who created you, who has a destiny for you, who has a purpose for you. 6,000 years of human history and God said, nah, let's save them for 2023 and put them in Warrington, Virginia. Got a plan for them. That's when they take their breath because it's a part of an overall strategy. And you know what? We spend our time saying, God, what do you want me to do? But I know this. I live in a time that I'm destined to live and you live in that same destiny. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service. Can you just lift your hands and give him praise? That you, you live in God's world and you are a creation of him. Come on, give him praise that he lets you enjoy his creation and that he's created you as part of that creation. Come on, praise him for that this morning.